0: Welcome to this special edition of the Strategy-Driven Podcast, an interview with David Auker, author of Brand Relevance, Making Competitors Irrelevant. On behalf of the entire Strategy-Driven team, I would like to welcome you to this special edition of the Strategy-Driven Podcast, an interview with David Auker, author of Brand Relevance, Making Competitors Irrelevant. The Strategy-Driven Podcast focuses on the tools and techniques executives and managers can use to improve their organization's alignment and accountability to ultimately achieve superior results. These podcasts elaborate on the best practice and warning flag articles, found on the Strategy Driven website at www.strategydriven.com. In this special edition podcast, David Auker shares with us his insights on creating brand relevance to offer something so different that it creates its own unique category within which customers perceive no other product or service alternatives. And so now, without any further delays, let's get started. We are privileged to be joined by David Auker, author of Brand Relevance, Making Competitors Irrelevant. David is Vice Chairman of Profit, a marketing consultancy that helps senior executives balance their organization's short-term business needs against their long-term growth goals, and Professor Emeritus of Marketing Strategy at UC Berkeley's Haas School of Business, One of the world's leading experts on branding and the winner of three awards for lifetime contributions to the science of marketing, David has published over 100 articles and 14 books, including Strategic Market Management, that has been translated into 18 different languages. Dave, welcome to the Strategy Driven Podcast.
1: I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: I am thrilled to have you on the show you know I learned so much from your book brand relevance before I picked up your book and I read it I used to equate brand relevance to brand preference but came to understand that there's quite a distinction a very important distinction between the two so to start out our conversation this evening I was hoping you would define for our audience what brand relevance is, what brand preference is, and then compare and contrast the differences between the two.
1: Well, yeah, sure. Brand preference is when you have uh, uh, existing competitors in an existing category. And so uh, you you might be making a Chevrolet SUV or Budweiser beer or Bank of America loans, but... uh, the, the way you win in a brand preference competition is to get your brand preferred over another brand, mm-hmm. and the strategy is incremental in, uh, innovation. You're always trying to make your brand offering just a little bit cheaper, a little bit better, and uh, and so that it will be preferred. And you want to engage in in very aggressive marketing uh, programs with advertising and so on and uh, or event marketing. You want to keep your name visible. You want to try to make your point that your brand is superior to other brands. Brand uh, relevance competition is completely different. In brand relevance competition, you're uh, trying to create a whole new category or subcategory such that competitors are not relevant. Mm -hmm. So um, if you look at a decision process of a customer, he chooses the category or subcategory. It might be an SUV. Then he chooses the brands to consider. It might be Chevrolet and Cadillac and Toyota. And then, uh, he chooses among them. Well, the last third stage is brand preference, but the first two stages are brand relevance. And, and the, and the goal of brand relevance competition is to create a subcategory such that your competitors are not even considered. And so winning does not involve being preferred it involves being the only brand that's considered. So you you look at say the Chrysler minivan introduced in 1982 it uh, it went 16 years with no competition. I sure. mean it was incredible. They sold now 12 over 12 million vehicles and they had no competition until 1998 when Toyota finally uh, uh, Became a competitor. Enterprise Rent-A-Car had 35 years with no competition. Prius had eight or ten years with no competition, and so um, uh, you know, Weston's Heavenly Bed had five or six years with no competition. Akea Whole Foods uh, to this day they really don't have a viable competitor because they're, they have a, such a unique category that they're they're defining. So uh, that's what brand preference competition is.
0: Now. What is the distinct advantage of brand relevance over brand preference? Is it just that you just don't have competitors in that market space?
1: Yeah, it, it's Econ 101. I mean, it, the monopoly is the way to, uh, mm-hmm. is to have fun and make money. And uh, when you don't have a monopoly, it's, it's, it can be just brutal. But it really is astounding. I mean, it is astonishing how little impact huge marketing expenditures have. It's just astounding. I studied, for example, the uh, the Japanese beer market over 50 years. Mm-hmm. And literally, in 50 years, only four times in that whole time period did the uh, market share trajectories change. And three times was when a new subcategory was defined. It was uh, uh, Asasi's Dry Beer, it was uh, Ichiban, it was Hapashu. And the fourth time... Uh, two categories were simultaneously redefined, and so, in fifty years, with all that marketing, all those new products, uh, all those promotions uh, you you really only had uh, movement when there was a new category or subcategory, which meant that that uh, you know a lot of those marketing expenditures were having no impact at all, mm-hmm. uh, which is really a sobering thing. You look at the computer industry and Again, the, the the cast of characters, the leading uh, firms, changed only when a new category came in. When people invented the mini computer or the network computer or the uh, or the laptop computer, then you saw new new faces. That you saw real changes in the market share structure. But but uh, before that, when people were trying to say my computer is better than your computer, that, nothing happened. So, and we have financial. Uh, analysis too. There's one study that that looked at 110 different uh, new offerings and 14% of them were really in, represented new categories and subcategories. They, those 14% represented 31% of the sales and 61% of the profits. I mean, it, the only way over a long time period in, in financial history, the only people that Rake really makes Uh, Really above-average returns are those that created new categories and subcategories.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm an Apple fan, and so today was a big day for me because the iPad 2 was unveiled. And I found it interesting that the ad on the Apple website talks about them seeking to create a new category of computer with the iPad
1: well, you know, Apple is one of the extraordinary companies of all time, and uh, um, it and Steve Jobs is one of the extraordinary CEOs of of our generation because he has created a whole new category at least six times in in just over a decade, and, and mm-hmm. most companies never do it. But uh, not not I shouldn't say that, but it most companies you know try to do it once a decade, perhaps or. But uh, Apple has done it six times with the Apple stores, with the iPad, with the iPhone, with the iPod, and uh, uh, iTunes. It's uh, it's it's truly, truly extraordinary.
0: It's absolutely remarkable.
1: And it's it's interesting, you know, that in uh, you know uh, Sony introduced a i. IP- IPad, ipod type product two years before apple mm-hmm. microsoft introduced an ipad like product 10 years before apple so it's not as if apple has the vision it's not as if apple is a pioneer it's just that apple is uh is, it just always gets the timing just right and of course they have that marvelous facility for design they have uh, uh, a facility for to surround their product with applications and and so on and and uh, but but uh, the timing is really an under, under appreciated quality of Steve Jobs and Apple.
0: And, and I wanted to ask about that. It seems that achieving brand relevance demands an additional degree of innovation to create new products or services such that we actually create the new category or subcategory. What are some of the key factors that are needed to create brand relevance?
1: Well, the first is to get the idea in the first place. And that can come from many sources. It can come from asking customers or observing customers. Marriott, for example, had a team of people that observed customers using their Uh, lobbies, and they, Mm -hmm. uh, after six weeks, redesigned the lobby so it was more businessman-friendly. You can be a customer. Uh, Zappos.com started when somebody realized that it was pretty hard to find shoes of their size. Um, It can be done by partnering with a customer, like Walmart's done with uh, P&G. They've uh, collaborated on ordering logistics, accounting, promotion, and so on. It can be uh involve design like, like jaguar and uh the gray goose vodka. It can be a system solution like Siebel invented uh uh c m r and uh and made component manufacturers uh irrelevant
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: it can be augmenting the product like Best Buy did with the geek squad or so there there's a lot of different ways you can generate the product, but the reality is that Ideas are usually not the limiting factor. Most firms have ideas. It's to sort out which ones really are going to pay off. So it's the evaluation is the key. You got to find, you've got to be able to say the idea will have a substantial market potential. You got to say your firm is capable of delivering, mm-hmm. and uh, you've got to say that you can build barriers so that if you do have success, it will be long lasting. And it's very easy to have a an idea that's really quite minor and it's not going to support uh, a new category it's not going to have what I call must haves a must have is some characteristic that a consumer will demand sure um, and and but people get excited and they over inflate modest things sometimes and on the other side of the coin, you also don't want to uh, turn your back on something that will have that potential because maybe uh you get tired or you get discouraged or you believe that you can't overcome some obstacle. And, uh, you know, Tide, uh, so Procter & Gamble gave up on Tide uh, after five years and, and somebody kind of bootstrapped a, a conti- ongoing uh, development and, and they able to find the synthetic detergent and, and they created Tide. But if it was up to Procter & Gamble management, that would have, died and, and Procter & Gamble will still be a soap company. Sure. So anyway, um, yeah, the evaluation is really key as well. Yeah.
0: Now Dave, how do companies do that? Uh, do they have some sort of process in place? Uh, is it part of their uh, strategic planning as, as far as the evaluation of initiatives against others uh, is concerned? Oh,
1: that's a, a, a really good question. and. Uh, it's, it's and the basic answer. It's very hard for an organization. Um, you know, an organization has to be able to commit. It has to mm-hmm. be able to uh, you know really operate a uh, an existing business and a new business. It's Got to be able to commit to to continually. It needs that inner incremental innovation. It needs to keep improving. It needs to keep the eye on the ball. But but at the same time. Uh, it has to simultaneously do something inconsistent it has to be entrepreneurial it has to be uh have an externally oriented uh, communication system it has to be willing to try things it has to be willing to take risks it has to be willing to support entrepreneurial uh, operations within there and and it has to have a third quality too uh, and that is it has to be willing to allocate resources in a way that allows these new ventures to have a chance, to have resources behind them. And to do those three things for an organization is, is is very challenging.
0: Now we've talked a lot about creating a category or subcategory through a new product or service offering. But can a company create that same new marketplace without actually altering their products and services and, and doing it in yeah, some other way? At-
1: Absolutely, absolutely. You know, look at uh, De Beers' uh, Mm -hmm. diamond company. I mean, they're they're making diamonds. It's just nothing different about the product. But they have changed that to a a way to express love and commitment. And so they completely created a whole new category that uh, is quite different than one that was defined with functional benefits. Uh, You look at... uh, uh, Oh, for example, uh, some some uh, uh, brands are, are defined as subcategory with respect to shared interests. So Pampers is a baby care brand, mm-hmm. and it and it's uh, it's all about baby care, not just uh, the functional diaper thing. It's about baby care, and so they have a connection with uh, mothers and others that are interested in baby care. Uh, some brands have a personality. Apple certainly does. And so if you could duplicate Apple's products, but you lack the, the coolness, the personality, it, it, you lack the connection. And so people, and for a lot of people, that's a must-have. And even if somebody could absolutely duplicate the product of Apple, that's not going to mean they're going to do it. It can, it can be a passion, like Whole Foods. A lot of people can duplicate what Whole Foods can do, but they can't duplicate that passion. And that provides, uh, for a lot of people, a must-have. They, they want to deal with a company that has a passion for, you know, organic food and uh, natural food and so mm-hmm. forth. And, and, uh, so, yeah, it can be based on shared interest, personality, uh, a passion. It can be based on, uh, an organizational culture. Uh, somebody might, uh, you know, really, uh, Want to deal with somebody that has a, a, a distinct culture, like Zappos.com has, for example, where you know they one of their values is to be a little weird, and uh, and so that becomes part of the subcategory definition. I was just uh, writing uh, a uh, a blog post today about mm-hmm. enterprise. They are changing their. Uh, advertising from one that's based on value and convenience to one that's based on their heritage, their commitment to service, and their empowerment of employees and so on. And um, and I said, you know, they, they've they had this wonderful subcategory they created, which is all about, you know, we're going to serve the local guy that has their car in the shop or wants to take a, a, a vacation by a car and not involve the airplane. That, that, that's sort of their... Uh, their vision from when they started in nineteen sixty two and but it's more than that. It it is about the service, it is about the heritage, it's about the service, you know, the empowerment of employees and so they have to make that part of the uh the subcategory and they do a great disservice to themselves to sort of start fighting with Hertz and Avis about, you know, value and convenience. That's uh um, then they're they're sort of fighting on their grounds, and and they have, they've, that's really not a wise thing. They should they should yeah. create that subcategory for which Hertz and Avis are not relevant.
0: Right. It's almost as though they're trying to move into Hertz and Avis's territory, and they're giving up this prime real estate that they have all to themselves.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Now, Dave, we've talked about categories and subcategories and managing those is really a lot different than managing a brand. How does a company go about establishing and then managing a new category or subcategory and what are the key factors that they have to achieve in order to do so?
1: Yeah, um, yeah, as marketing people are kind of hardwired to build brands and and mm-hmm. to engage in this brand preference co- competition and and sort of building a category or subcategory is a little bit uncomfortable for for most of them. But that's in, if you're going to be in a brand relevance world where you want to win, there you've got to be able to manage the. Category or subcategory. You want to make sure it gets visibility. You want to make sure that the category or subcategory is the one that somebody chooses. You want them to make sure they're choosing a hybrid car or a, and if they do, a you know, Prius will win. But uh, Prius has to be getting them to buy the hybrid, not to buy mm-hmm. Prius, to buy the hybrid. And Salesforce.com has got to get people to buy cloud computing, not to buy Salesforce.com. And, uh, so it's a whole different different mindset, and the, and the key to that is to become the exemplar of the ca- category, and and you do that by indeed marketing the category and subcategory, not the brand, and and then people will start to realize you're the spokesperson of that category or subcategory, and. Uh, and you want to be the early market leader. Like I said, Apple was not the pioneer in, in a lot of these areas, but they were the early market leader. They are the ones that finally got it right. Mm-hmm. And you want to be the authentic brand. You want to be, uh, you know, these, these people that sort of come after and, and try to copy, they lack authenticity. And, uh, and that's really a kind of a, a big mountain to climb if you don't have authenticity.
0: You talked about managing managing brand and and of course brand image. How does a company go about managing category image?
1: Well uh, uh, you, you just have to talk about the, the category and the attributes of the category and you want to make sure that the that the definition of a category in the customer's mind Matches what you're bringing to the table, so that you are the only relevant option, and and one trick to that is to expand the category definition beyond functional benefits. So uh, the the hybrid car, which is is a category managed by Prius, because that's the the dominant player and the exemplar of the category, so that's come to mean not only just having a particular kind of engine, but having a particular kind of car design, to have a particular kind of branding strategy. So, uh, the uh, uh, you know, if somebody buys and drives a Prius. Everybody knows that they are in a hybrid. But when mm-hmm. you have a you know a, a Ford Focus hybrid, you don't know if it's a hybrid or not. It could be just a Ford Focus or a Honda right. Civic. It could same thing so so it all uh, there, there's there's a lot involved
0: so once a company has achieved brand relevance what are some of the things that they should do to actually maintain that relevance over time
1: well the a key element in the brand relevance competition is to create barriers mm-hmm. uh, and there's it, there's several kinds of barriers. The first one is to really be good at execution. Uh, Zappos.com, for example, is got this 24/7 call center. It's got their 10 values. It's got they they select the people very carefully and then give them four thousand dollars to leave the company if if they don't fit. Mm-hmm. And so the execution of Zappos.com is so strong, it creates a barrier for competitors. And then um, to continuously innovate, like Apple, you know, the iPod, they came up with the Nano and the Shuffle and the iTouch and, and the iPad. So it's always a moving target. They don't stand still. And then to go beyond functional benefits and to add things like uh, social programs to provide the the kind of company somebody might want to attach with. And so that becomes also a potential... Uh, definer of the category or subcategory.
0: Okay. For a company that's an established company
1: that is
0: operating in a brand preference world, how does brand relevance affect those organizations?
1: Well, brand relevance is indeed a threat as well as an opportunity. If you're an Mm -hmm. established company in an established category, you you have to worry about the market dynamics. And if there's a new subcategory emerging that uh, is uh, uh, you know taking business away from you, then uh, you've got to be concerned about that. In fact, I kind of stumbled on the brand relevance category when we were looking at uh, brand data of high tech brands, and we noticed some brands had very strong brands, but they were losing uh, sales and they were losing sales because they were losing relevance. I mean, if you make a minivan, you could have the best minivan in the world. People could love it. They recommend it. They never buy another. But if they're not going to buy a minivan, it simply doesn't matter. Yeah. You, you, it doesn't matter how good your minivan brand is. Yeah. It just doesn't matter if they're not buying one anymore. So so you have to keep making what they're buying. And uh, you can adjust in many ways. You can uh, develop parity, like... McDonalds did with McCafe they uh tried to develop a product that was not better than Starbucks but at least close enough that people wouldn't um uh, wouldn't choose to to avoid a McDonalds. You can uh, uh uh let's see, you can remove a negative like Walmart's done with their sustainability program. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh uh, so there's a lot of things you can do to to, uh, to stay relevant but uh, you, you just have to keep your eye on the market dynamics the other thing way you can lose relevance is if you lose energy and visibility and uh, you know if if people know you make this thing they're buying but they you, you just don't have enough energy and visibility to be considered you're not relevant so um, you either have to energize your business like for example Dove did with uh, putting their brand into about six different categories growing their business from 200 million to 4 billion in the process had uh, created a lot of energy but you another thing you can do is just find something with energy and and or create something with energy and attach your brand to it like Avon did with the, the walk for breast cancer or the breast sure. cancer mm-hmm. and and that's created enormous involvement in energy there's uh Tens of millions of people that are directly affected they raised six hundred and forty million dollars for for breast cancer research and it's been going for 20 years and it's uh, it's uh, a hot spot for their core market segment
0: Dave brand relevance being a, a new approach to marketing, what are the key characteristics and, and the key competencies that an organization needs to have in order to successfully pursue a brand-relevant strategy?
1: Well, I think that uh, they have to have an organization that's open to ideas, that's open to entrepreneurs, that's willing to fund and to try out ideas, mm-hmm. and uh, it's willing to fail. Um, and, and, and But second, they need to have a, a real... Um, Sort of ability to be close to the market and close to technology, so they really understand when the timing is going to be right to maximize the success of a new idea, and that was, uh, of course, the uh, you know the, uh, the the real magic of Steve Jobs. And and third, they have to be willing to create these barriers so that so that it's an it's an ongoing thing. It's not a matter of having a great concept and introducing it in the marketplace successfully, but you've got to have an ongoing program to create barriers, to, to build a brand that's formidable, to uh, continue to innovate to create a moving target, and to execute uh, so well that it's going to be extremely challenging to uh, to duplicate.
0: Okay. David, before we close... You have a website, and it's com. I was wondering if you would tell our audience a little bit more about your website and the kinds of resources that they can find there.
1: Well, basically, what I've done is I comment once or twice uh, a week on mm-hmm. branding issues of the day or, or branding principles, I, t- I tell you, I'll back up a little bit. I, in my first, very first blog, I explained why I'm doing this. About 20 years ago, I decided that w- what I wanted to do with my life was to advance the, the theory and knowledge of, of branding and, and more generally to help organizations stop managing based on short-term financials and start building okay. assets and to mm-hmm. think about their business more strategically. So I really wanted to change the orientation of of senior management, and I wanted to provide also some tools as to how you can do that, how you can build this intangible asset called a brand that's so difficult, uh, you know, to measure the ROI of an investment in such an asset. And so that that sort of is, is what I did, and, and I... I started off by writing a book uh, managing brand equity to kind of define brand equity and I then wrote a book uh, Building strong brands on on how to manage your brand and then a third brand leadership on how to uh, to to, uh, to execute a brand strategy and the fourth on on uh, on brand portfolio strategy on how to manage sort of sets of brands teams of brand make them work together and now my fifth brand book is is brand relevance on, on how to Uh, to not only uh, understand market dynamics, but actually to drive market dynamics by really changing, being in charge of changing the marketplace to create these new categories and subcategories.
0: Dave, I want to thank you, not only for your time, but for sharing your insights with us. I thoroughly enjoyed your book, not just for the concepts you presented, but because you really brought them to life through all of the examples that you provided by many of the companies that have achieved brand relevance themselves. I hope our listeners will pick up a copy of Brand Relevance and then use the approaches that you provide in your book to further improve their product's positioning and ultimately help them achieve a greater degree of success. So thank you again for joining us. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this special edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast. I would like to personally thank David Auker for being with us today and sharing his insights on achieving brand relevance within the marketplace. As always, we would appreciate receiving your feedback by email at podcast at If you enjoyed the show. Please consider reviewing us on iTunes and visiting our website at www.strategydriven.com. You can find more information about David Auker and brand relevance at www.profit.com. Until next time, so long.